covering all aspects of Milwaukee Brewers baseball. It's time for Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Here is your host, Matt Pauley. It is time for another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. My name is Matt Pauley. Great to have you with us after our uh, annual two-week hiatus. We do that around the holidays every year, but then we uh, pick things right back up, and we're going to be going strong every Sunday night slash Monday morning for the foreseeable future. If you do want to get in contact with me, it is always uh, easy to do so, especially via Twitter. You can find me there, at Matt Pauley on air, M-A-T-T-P-A-U-L-E-Y on air. Also, if you listen to us via Apple Podcasts, and you want to leave a ranking and review, that would be uh, both fantastic and very much appreciated. I saw a lot of folks uh, on social media talking about one of their New Year's resolutions being listening to more podcasts, which is uh, a cool resolution. If that uh, is you and maybe you're finding us for the first time, welcome. We do this uh, every week as we talk all things Brewers. On the uh, program this week, our featured conversation is going to be with uh, baseball prospectuses. Say that three times real fast. Uh, Nicholas Zettel. Uh, he, previously, I would have said he is from BP Milwaukee, but there's been kind of a structure change over at Baseball Prospectus, and it's not so much team site oriented anymore. It's more about everybody contributing uh, to uh, Baseball Prospectus as a whole. So we'll introduce uh, Nicholas as a member of uh, Baseball Prospectus now, not specifically uh, BP Milwaukee, but nonetheless, he's going to be joining us coming up in just a bit. Brewers made a trade this past week when they send away outfielder Keon Broxton to the New York Mets. They get a right-handed relief pitcher, and Bobby Wall has had some major league opportunities over the course of the last two seasons, and a guy who probably can fit into the Brewers' bullpen mix uh, pretty well. They also get uh, a couple young players, pitcher Adam Hill and infielder Felix Valerio. So that puts that creates a little bit of a question now. Be in terms of what the Brewers' outfield is going to look like beyond Ryan Braun, Lorenzo Cain, and Christian Yelich. I think when the trade was made to send Domingo Santana to the Seattle Mariners, the thought process on that was kind of, okay, that you got Santana and Broxton, neither have options, so... If you have to send one down, you have to you know, possibly lose one of them. So by sending off Santana, that kind of secures a roster spot for Keon Broxton. Well, turns out that's not the case. Broxton doesn't have options either, and he's now a member of the New York Mets. And they don't, you know, in the Santana trade, they got Gamble back, so you felt like he's somebody who's going to be a contributor at the Major League level this year, even though he's somebody who does have options, and that was a big part of that move, is getting somebody who's got some flexibility to be able to move them up and down. Uh, in this trade, you get somebody who's going to get some big league time this year on Bobby Wall, but the other two players are young players who are both years away from finding their way onto the Major League roster. So this is where the question kind of uh, gets uh, comes up, and we're going to talk a lot about this with uh, with Nicholas Zettel when he joins us in just a few minutes. The big question then is, what does your fourth outfielder situation look like? And I guess you could take that one step further and say, are you comfortable with Ben Gamble being your fourth outfielder? Because the Brewers are in a situation where Ryan Braun is going to need days off, even in a in a perfect world where he is healthy all season long, where he does not end up going on the disabled list, and that really hasn't been true for a couple of years now, 
even in a scenario where that plays out, you still need to give him rest. I think it's very understandable and very reasonable that for him to stay healthy, him getting normal rest is something that is important for his you know, longevity over the course of a 162-game season. Lorenzo Kane is not a young guy. He's good at playing every day. He hates it when he gets a day off, but you got to give Kane a day off every once in a while, too. And yeah, Christian Yelich seemingly will play every day, but he'll take that day off here and there, as he did this past year, which obviously set up uh, set off a lot of uh, a lot of people being unhappy about when he took that day off. But we don't need to revisit that here uh, in the off season. So I would argue that that fourth outfielder position with the Brewers is as important as a fourth outfielder can be for any team, especially any contending team. Specifically to Ryan Braun, but a little bit to the other two, but specifically to Ryan Braun, because of the days that he's going to have off, that fourth outfielder is going to uh, be somebody who plays a fair amount, gets a lot of plate appearances. And we know how the team likes to use flexibility and likes to use their bench and everything. And uh, he's somebody who's going to get into a lot of games, even that he does not start. So are you comfortable with Ben Gamble in that situation, in that position? I, I think, maybe I'm wrong here, I think the Brewers still make some type of move at some point for that quote-unquote fourth outfielder. Now, maybe they're really comfortable with what they have. Maybe they're comfortable with some young guys. They're comfortable with Gamble. They're comfortable with guys coming up and going down. And maybe that move doesn't even come until spring training or if they try the the regular season and things don't work out, maybe they make a a midseason move with somebody. But I just think as the season moves along, that fourth outfielder is going to be somebody who is not on the roster at this point in time. I appreciate the moves of Santana and Broxton because I think they were probably concerned that these guys might not make the club. Neither of them did, you know. I, I Santana made the club, but you know, both both those guys spent a lot of times in the minor leagues this past season, and them having options or an option this past year was a big part of why they were uh, in the organization. Now you go into this year, and if the same thing happens as last year, you're not able to send them down without other teams plucking them away. So it almost, if both those guys still have another option going into this year. I think they're probably both still on the team. But it got to a point where you you position yourself to make sure that you don't get nothing for those guys maybe exiting the organization, and that's what the Brewers were able to do. But I do think the the outfield picture is more interesting to me now than it was previously because before you kind of knew what you had with those two guys, and now – you look at what's left the organization over the course of the last year in a Brett Phillips and a Keon Broxton and Domingo Santana. Yeah, you still have a really good outfield, but that outfield depth is going to be tested. And whether Gamble's that guy or not, we'll just have to wait and see. But depth is going to be tested. And you also you want to have a, a really good defensive outfielder available. That was one of the good things about having Keon Broxton was if you need to make a, a late-game switch involving an outfielder, you were able to put him out there for defensive purposes and then bring a really, really strong glove uh, to the outfield. So I, I think the outfield is going to continue to evolve as we move forward. So really, kind of the, 
the marks that we still will see, I think, before all is said and done, the kind of the the, the, the position groups that are uh, are still kind of a work in progress. I think the outfield now is more than it was before, and of course they're still trying to figure out second base, and they've still probably got uh, a signing or two in terms of starting pitching uh, or an acquisition or two. There's always those Sunny Gray rumors that they could end up working out a deal to go get uh, Sunny Gray or somebody else that even surprises you. But those are probably the three areas now we've been spending so much time talking talking about second base and pitching, well, outfield might just be moving into that group now because I don't know if you're completely confident with the group as it is right now. Now, if they're totally all in on on Ben Gamble, then then that's it, and, and we'll find that out. But I think there definitely is an opportunity for them to make another move involving an outfielder at some point in time. All right, coming up on the program this week, again, our uh, featured conversation uh, during our social media conversation is uh, going to be with Nicholas Zettel from Baseball Prospectus. But let's let's uh, first get to this week's headlines of the week. It doesn't matter if it's right in the middle of the summer or winter. There's always news about the Brewers. Let's look back at the week that was with Matt that's headlines of the week. All right, so the headlines of the week. I mean, we, we hit on it a lot in our first segment of the podcast. Keon Broxton uh, gets traded to the Mets. In exchange, they get uh, a pitcher and Bobby Wall. Wall is somebody who he has had some major league time this past year with the Mets. He appeared in seven games, five and a third innings, six runs on nine hits. So his uh, ERA was at 10.13. He was with Oakland in 2017, where he appeared in seven games at a 4.70 ERA. When he's been in the minor leagues, he's been really good, really, really good. Uh, This past year in the minor leagues, a 2.20 ERA, uh, 2017 in uh, the minor leagues. He was uh, at a sub-3 ERA. So, uh, actually, in 2017, he was at 3.60 and 2016 at 2.65. But uh, the point being is he has, he's really dominated his time in the minor leagues. He hasn't really been given a true opportunity at the major league level. So that's something that might come with the Brewers. The other two players are a couple young guys, pitcher Adam Hill, infielder Felix Valerio. Uh, Hill was the uh, fourth-round pick out of the University of uh, South Carolina last year by the Mets. He played at uh, Class A short-season Brooklyn in his pro debut, and uh, 15 and a third innings for them at 26 strikeouts. And then Valerio, he uh, played in the Dominican Summer League this past year. He's just 18 years old, 319, three home runs, 22 RBIs over the course of 67 games. So those guys are going to be a little while until they were to uh, arrive in Milwaukee. But it does certainly uh, help the depth. We've seen this organization through starting really with the Christian Yelich trade last year and all the other trades that were made, uh, especially as they got into uh, July and August and, and made the deadline deals. The depth in the minor league system has been depleted a bit, so at the very least you bring in a few more guys for uh, the system, and that's something that uh, they can use right now. We had mentioned this before. This was reported seemingly weeks ago, but it is now official 
as the Brewers this past week uh, announcing that they had finalized their one-year contract with Corey Spangenberg, $1.2 million, and uh, he is somebody who uh, comes in and will be part of the conversation, you would think, at second base. Uh, I still think they bring somebody else in, and uh, but he's he's somebody who is available to them, and uh, that uh, that's uh, he does have a minor league option remaining and two years of club control as well. So uh, he's somebody who could or could not be in the big leagues to start the season. You would think he would contribute at some point at the major league level this year, but certainly uh, no guarantee on that. And uh, he now uh, joins the organization this past year playing in San Diego. He hit uh, 235, seven home runs, 25 RBIs at uh, 298 at-bats over the course of the year. Those are this week's Headlines of the Week. After every Brewers game, signing an announcement, bloggers and podcasters hit the web to give their take. Now we bring them all together. It's the Social Media Roundtable, and it starts now. Brewers x the podcast, is powered by WTMJ Mobile. As we get into our uh, social media conversation, very happy to welcome back onto the program one of our favorite people. I've always said before he's from uh, BP Milwaukee, but uh, now we can just say he's from Baseball Prospectus as there's been some changes over at uh, BP. We're actually talking about that a little bit at the end of the conversation. But a, uh, a contributor with uh, Baseball Prospectus uh, following the Brewers, he is Nicholas Zettel. Nick, it's always great to talk to you. How are you? Matt, I'm doing great. Great. Uh, how are you? It's uh, Thanks for having me on today. Yeah, I'm great. I'm glad to uh, get you on. and it's, a, it's an interesting time to talk right now. The the offseason has been somewhat quiet, but there's been a couple things that I've noticed some things that you have said regarding it, and then there was a trade uh, that occurred here recently with Keon Broxton being sent to the Mets, and you combine that with a previous trade uh, of Domingo Santana. And I wanted to I wanted to start off with something that you had recently tweeted out, and give me a second to kind of formulate sure. this question. Uh, so the Brewers in the last year going into this offseason – uh, lost a lot in terms of minor league players to help out the big league roster. They also have done a really good job of making sure that they have players with some flexibility so they can move players up and down. That was part of the strength of the team this past year. Well, then you go into this offseason, and there's a scenario where you could have gone into next year where both Keon Broxton and Domingo Santana were on the 25-man roster. After Santana's move, there absolutely was a good possibility for Broxton to be there, but neither of those guys had that roster flexibility. They make the move with Santana. They get a guy with an option. They move the, the they make the move for Broxton. They get a guy who might go into the bullpen, and then they get two young players, and, and the minor league system has been uh, you know, cut down a little bit with the trades recently. How do you view it in the sense of them? They're still a competitive team. They're, they're a team that was one win away from the World Series, so we want to see them make the Major League roster better, but we can't run away from the fact that part of their strength has been flexibility, and Broxton and Santana didn't bring a whole lot of flexibility with them. So how do you kind of reconcile everything that I just said, if that makes sense? Yeah, um, that's kind of what I'm trying to wrap my mind around. Um, and I think what I've, what I've been, what I've been tweeting out about is, is kind of like, is me thinking out loud through it because it's, it's two conflicting goals in my mind if you look at it. Cause I, I don't think on the surface of it, I don't think you can say that the Brewers made a bad move so far this offseason. I think 
I think there's logical arguments for everything that they've done. Um, but it's, you balance that idea of having roster flexibility with um, another thing uh, that I always have in mind is that just the, the simple number of injuries that happen um, throughout the season that you could just say, and I know, I think, I think the difficulty of comparing something like waiting for injury to, to take down an outfielder or something versus having roster options is that in one case, the decision is in the front office's hands. You know, when, when someone's got a minor league option, David Stearns and his, his analytics team can just, they can just decide when it's best for someone to be up in the MLB or down in the minors. So I totally understand why they do that. Um, but at the same time, you've got an outfield that looks really great, but you've got Lorenzo Cain and Ryan Braun are both in their mid thirties. I'm in their mid thirties. I, I, I'm in my mid thirties. I don't know how these guys can swing a bat. I, I think it's impressed <laughs> that they, they play whatsoever. I, I think um, it's, it's pretty, pretty amazing to see what they do. And so it's not a knock on either of them. If I say, you know, I think, I think between the two of them, you might have 300 or 400 plate appearances that you need covered by somebody else just to get through the season. And that's, that's again, not a knock. I think that's just to say, you know, Lorenzo Kane might not play the full season. Ryan Braun might not play the full season. We kind of know that uh, based on the past. They're, they're still going to be extremely valuable people to the players, to the club, and the Brewers are going to need Braun and Kane in order to win. And so my thought of just keeping, let's say you keep Domingo Santana and Keon Braxton without and they don't have minor league options. So, so you can't really have that roster flexibility. But the question is, if you've got, if you've got Lorenzo Kane on the shelf for a little bit, or you've got Ryan Braun on the disabled list for a little bit, who's, who's going to be that next person to step up? Who's going to be, is, was there actually a role for someone like Keon Braxton to take, you know, really pretty solid, uh, center field defense uh, and lead the team with that value for a while. Was there going to be a chance for Domingo Santana to um, get that bat going again, maybe in left field for the Brewers, maybe not as a right fielder. Um, I, those are the kinds of questions that I think of as a counterfactual. So I, I don't mean it as a criticism of the moves. I, I totally understand the logic of it. I just, I think that roster flexibility can happen in a different way too. When, if you just keep as many good players as possible. And that's kind of what I wanted to see with Santana. I really do think they could have rolled into the season with uh, Ryan Braun, Lorenzo Kane, Christian Yelich, Domingo Santana, and Keon Broxton and made it work. The the difference is, like I said, then the, the front office just doesn't have that flexibility of the roster options. So it's just, I think it's a tough thing to get through. So I guess, in in short, I should have just said I, I don't think I reconciled your question very well. I, I think it's I think it's a really tough question to get at because you're asking you're asking about when future injuries happen and when future roster needs happens. Do you want do you just want the depth to come from the MLB roster and just say it's the next man up, or do you want to have like a shuttle crew like they did last year where you can just constantly send guys up and down from the majors and the mi- between the majors and the minors? So it's just. I, I don't know if I'm clear on that because um, I, I guess my thoughts aren't really settled on that. Well, and they can't. And the other side of it that we we didn't even hit yet was we're talking about this on January sixth. 
tomorrow right. we could wake up and David Stearns could have signed a, a fourth outfielder who's a really good player, good bat, good defense, and, and clearly is an upgrade over either Domingo Santana or Keon Broxton. You know, there's right. a couple spots available on the 40-man roster. If that move is made, this entire conversation is moot. So it's it's tough to have this conversation when we're not in the middle of the season. Yeah, that's 100% right. Yeah, I, I think I think that's totally it. And so it's just I what I love to do in the in the early stages of an off season or even the middle of an off season I like to try I like to use these moves in these conversations and debates as like foster logic. Like what where do you see the club going with this? And one of the things I really liked uh on Brewer's Twitter that I saw is so far a lot of people processing it are are suggesting that that maybe Corey Ray or um, Troy Stokes or um, uh, Tyrone Taylor, some of their minor league guys that are in the advanced minors, maybe they're going to lean on them a little bit. And so that, not to steer the conversation in, in one way or the other, but I part of me wonders is if I'm David Stearns and I look at a 96-win roster, I look at history and I say, you know what, there's no way this team wins 96 games again. It's interesting that's like, just get that out of the way. Say, so, you know what? They're not going to win 96 again. I want this team to be as good as it possibly can be for the future. So maybe Stearns is seeing this roster take a step back a little bit. He knows it's going to take a step back a little bit. You can't repeat the luck and the strategies and everything that went great perfectly for 2019. You know, you can't repeat what went great in 2018 for 2019 across the board. So maybe we're just going to see them lean on the young guys and just say, you know what? We're developing our core to be as good as it possibly can be for for 2019, 2020, 21, and 2022. You know, um, that's that's just kind of a thought that started occurring to me last night thinking through this. Is that you know maybe maybe they're just really trying to set this club up to be as good as possible in the future. They can't sell that to the fan base a year after their one went away from the World Series. No, no, you can't. <laughs> There's no good way to sell it, right? I've been thinking about that, Matt. How would you sell that, right? Because like everyone, everyone's talking about, you know, they they were one win away from the World Series. But if you look at the team last year, they were kind of they're kind of the poster child for what can go right if you set up a middle of the road roster. You know, you got you got some flaws on the roster, but you also have some strengths and you use strategies to hide those flaws. I think that's what they did so well in 2018. And you, if you just look at baseball on a year-to-year basis, there's so many fluctuations. There's just, I mean, the typical team is going to fluctuate about 9 to 10 wins every year. So there, there's a sense where you think, of course the Brewers aren't going to get you know that 96-win level again. And so part of me does kind of see the logic of what Stearns is doing this. If he knows that and he's like, rather than going all the way out and burning a bunch of money and, you know, doing things that way, he's kind of, maybe he wants these young guys to have a chance to play and say, you know what, they might win anyway. Like I, so yeah, they're never going to sell it that way. And I I do think it's a really good team. I still think it's going to be a a playoff content team, but it's just, you're right. You you can't really put that on a poster, right? No, you can't. And you just said something that I want to 
I want to punctuate a little bit because you just said it, and I think it's worth really kind of explaining. You said teams generally fluctuate 9 to 10 wins a year. In a 162-game schedule, 9-10 wins seems like a significant amount, but not like this huge, ridiculously significant amount. The basic rule in baseball is everybody wins 60 and everybody loses 60. Now, I know we have a, well, you'll have an outlier where a, a team will win 109 or like what happened with the Orioles this past year. But basically speaking, most of the time, everybody wins 60, everybody loses 60. So that leaves basically 40 games on the table. And those 40 games are the difference between the best team in the baseball and, and the worst team in baseball. So when you talk about teams fluctuating nine or 10 wins, you're not talking about nine out of 162. You're talking about nine out of 40, or I guess technically nine out of 42. That is a significant number right there when you look at it in terms of games that are actually available to be won or to be lost. Yeah, it's a huge, it's a huge fluctuation. I mean, I, I don't mean to even undermine what you said, but even if you're looking, if you're looking at 10 wins in 162 games, that's almost 10% of your schedule even. I mean, it's more than 5% of the schedule to be sure. So it's just, I mean, if the Brewers win 86 games next year, that's still a really good, that's a really good team right there. And they might, they might still push, push 90, you know, it, it's just, you, it, the, the thing that's been so tough in my mind with, I, I, I'm trying to think of the team in the context of the whole national league. And what's really cool about the 2019 national league is there's not going to be any bad teams. Really. There's maybe just a couple, like maybe Miami and then San Diego, San Diego, they got a bunch of advanced prospects that are going to be coming up. Cincinnati's got the same deal, and they kind of went out and boosted their roster. And Arizona's going to be in the middle of the road. There's a lot of middle-of-the-road teams. And so it's going to be its really tough to predict this because the Brewers, with their experience last year, they might actually have a step up on the competition because they've been there already, and they kind of know how to comport themselves through 162 games in order to win, win a minute race. So... I, I certainly don't discount that. I just I think it's going to be it's going to be a fight for every single win for them next year. There, I mean, the division you could have five teams above five hundred in the NL Central next year. It's it's going to be a rough division, and so that's that's kind of part of my I don't want to say pessimism, but it's just kind of like in my mind if I know they're not going to win ninety six again, it's like well what's what's the logic of like how do you prepare the roster to be the best possible roster if you know they're going to step back a little bit do you think and going back to kind of where our conversation was a few moments ago the fourth outfielder spot or even the fifth but let's just let's just talk about it in terms of a fourth outfielder with the fact that and let's even take Lorenzo Cain out of the the conversation for a second and everything you said earlier about Lorenzo Cain was spot on but when we just talk about Ryan Braun and the fact that over the last couple of years, he's had a hard time staying healthy. Uh, I think mm-hmm. the organization has very much learned that he's not an everyday guy anymore, especially early on in the season when it's a little bit cold outside. If he's playing two out of every three, you're in good shape. And the moment you start really trying to push him and, and you know get him play five, six games in a row without an off day, something seemingly goes bad with the back or, or, or whatever – 
does is there an added importance for this Brewers 25 man roster that that next outfielder is a legit guy simply because of Ryan Braun and you know that they're going to get maybe more at bats even if even if you have the best possible season from Ryan Braun there's going to be more at bats available for that guy than there would be on other teams who have as established of outfield as the Brewers have yeah 100% absolutely i think yeah getting I, I was actually thinking about this. Let's let's put a concrete name on it. I I think um, uh, someone like AJ Pollock, right? Yeah. Like a really interesting bounce back free agent. It's like, well, like he might not be the everyday center fielder in Milwaukee. He might not be the everyday left fielder in Milwaukee. But there's a really clear path to 600 plate appearances for him, or 500, or whatever you want to call it. You know, um, that like that to my mind can work, and so. Uh, to give you a really concrete stat on this, I just went back to my year-end research on this, and in, there were six teams. There were six teams in the 2018 MLB that had uh, all three of their outfield spots uh, work in 100 start 100 games. So even even getting to that 100 game threshold for three outfielders doesn't hardly happen at all in the MLB. So like, yeah, when you're already dealing with when you're already dealing with these known quantities like Ryan Braun's rest and things like that, some of those nagging injuries, I, I think there's totally an importance to get that to get that fourth outfield spot to work. And you know, maybe to David Stern's credit, maybe this is what he's doing and shipping off Santana and Broxton. Maybe he's actually going to go out and sign a better outfielder. And um, that like this whole this my whole musing on this is going to be moot by the time you know like you said uh, there's a lot of off season left i think he is i just i think this team is too driven to contend again this year and be able to take that next step forward and even with the variable and even with the just the anecdotal evidence that when teams take those major steps forward generally they they take a a step back before really surging forward for the long term all that being said I think this team very much wants to be able to compete at a high level. And then the other thing is we've seen this team being willing to, to make moves. Maybe they go into spring training and they say, let's see what, what what we can get from some of these young guys. And if you get into the month of May and it's still not working, uh, I think they're willing to go make a, make another move. So maybe the, maybe the Keon Broxton trade works out that all of a sudden you have more depth in the minor leagues that you're once again comfortable trading from the minor leagues to bring in, uh, you know, more uh, a major league guy but i i i don't think the guy who's the 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 quote-unquote fourth outfielder come june i don't think he's on the roster right now i think you're right about that absolutely yeah 100 percent What's uh the second base deal? It's it seems like you know the the off the off season market can kind of ebb and flow where you're in a position of strength as a team when there's a lot of guys out there and then every single time somebody signs maybe the the, the strength position goes away a little bit but there's still a ton of guys out there and I know they make a the, the small move with uh, with Spangenberg but for the most part I don't think the guy that's really going to be that everyday second baseman's on the roster yet are you still comfortable with where the market's at and the different uh, possibilities that exist for the Brewers yeah 100% because I mean if you follow if you follow the news, it, found, it sounds like David Stearns talks to every single free agent that's out there, which you got to love in the first place. He sounds like he's got his, it sounds like he's got a lot of, a lot of pots on the stove. 
So um, I'm really confident that they're going to make a solid move at second base. Um, what's, to my mind, the, the debate everybody has and the debate that I still don't know how to, rec- to, to reconcile this in my mind is where do you think Keston here is going to be in June? You know, mm-hmm. like the, the organization certainly can't say they're going to push him. They don't know because Keston here has never played above double a. So I think there is this, there is a legitimate reason to send them down to triple a and let them play. Like we don't necessarily know that he's faced the very best pitch sequencing. You know, there's price, you know, we don't know how he's going to handle a full season in the field. Like uh, once again, like, like he hasn't had two full seasons in the field. There's just a whole number of variables with him. So part of me feels like even if the Brewers go out and they got they want to get one of the top second basemen and it's got to be a two-year deal, I think even that would be great for the team. Um, the, the other side of the coin is if they really feel that here is their guy, it'll be interesting to see. It'll be interesting to see how that works. So I think, I think there's numerous ways they could go with this, and uh, I, I'm just kind of excited to see because it sounds like they're in on every single second baseman. So the it, Brewers fans out there, don't be shocked if there's a two-year deal, and don't be, you know, don't be upset because that doesn't mean that Keston Hare is out. That doesn't mean anything. It's just like uh, if a two-year deal gets their best guy for second base, that that's going to be a really good thing for the club. Let me play devil's advocate a little, little bit with you on that, though. Uh, if it was a two, if they were really comfortable with a two-year deal, wouldn't that deal already be done? Because these guys who are out there, for the most part, the majority of them are gonna probably sign one-year deals. So if there's a two-year deal for a little bit less money, average value, but you get two years, I would think most of these guys who are on the free agent market would would be jumping at a two-year deal. Yeah, it's hard to say. Um... I mean, what do you do with someone like Jed Lowry, right? Uh, I'm, I'm just double-checking. I don't think he's signed yet. You know, someone like Jed Lowry is, is someone where they might still be juggling multiple two-year deals. You know, I yeah. think there are still some of these guys out here where they, they might – someone some of these guys might still be fighting for a third year. Like someone like Lowry, who's had a career resurgence that's kind of his stuck for a couple of years, he might want – he might want even more money and then a two year deal's a step down. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I, I, I see what you mean that, that given, given the number of one year deals that have been signed this year, I think you're totally right with logically. Yeah. The, the bulk of the two, the bulk of the second base market is going to be on one year deals. But I, I do think there is some of these gems still there. Like um, Marwan Gonzalez is another one. I think he might be another one that, balancing numerous offers right now um do you put dj lemayu in there as well oh yeah totally yeah he's an interesting guy um because there's uh i don't know if you saw it baseball perspectives just uh released a new hitting a new hitting metric and he's he's one of these guys that kind of jumps off the page once you once you rework the park factors and Coors field he's he's kind of someone where the traditional stats have really really beaten him down a little bit and now it actually turns out he's a pretty valuable hitter depending on how you look at it so he's he's going to be a super interesting guy to see what happens in 2019 i get the and it's total sidebar here but as somebody who lived in colorado for six years and broadcast baseball in colorado for six years 
I get the impact of altitude. I absolutely do. I'm not trying to discount it, but I never think it's completely fair. There's a lot of hitters who have been very good for the Rockies who also go play well on the road, and maybe they, they always get, you know, the, the, it's always the whole, oh, well, they play at Coors Field. That's why their numbers are where they're at. I think Charlie Blackman could hit anywhere. I, I think Charlie Blackman's a really good player, but he gets discounted because of Coors Field. And then at the same side, if you're going to discount hitters in Colorado, then you should really promote their pitchers and someone like an Adam Adovino who pitched for the Rockies this past year he was people looked at him and you know in a very positive manner but probably they didn't give him as much credit as he deserves so I always feel bad for the folks in Colorado who either get discounted or don't get promoted enough because of the altitude issues there yep yeah absolutely yeah um it, it's uh it's an interesting it's an interesting thing to analyze in the game. And so it's, it'll just be, uh, I'm really excited to see what else baseball prospectus is going to do with these park factors. Cause they've totally, to my understanding of it is, is that they've completely revolutionized the way, like they, they're looking at parks a totally different way in these, in these new metrics. So, um, there, it might actually offer a really solid pushback or, or critical look at some of the other statistics that we've known for a while. Um, I, I'm really kind of excited when you see some of those extreme parks on other, like Colorado's one on one end, and then San Diego's like a park on the other end where, you know, people say no one can hit in San Diego. So it's kind of going to be fun to see a more neutral look at these uh, these ballparks. Does the score, Corey Spangenberg signing do anything for you? Um, I think it's good depth. I don't know. I don't know. It's not exciting. You know, it's not – but it's it's one of those things where I think if you make enough careful moves like that, you're going to win a championship. You know, like someone um, I'm forgetting now. I, I, I'm really embarrassed. It might have been Brad from Brew Crew Ball. Um, someone posted what what just uh, Aaron Perez and Corey Spangenberg platoon would look like based on their career numbers, and like it's a it's something that could work for a little while. If you need those guys, if you needed those guys to cover second base for a portion of the season, it's going to be just fine. And I think that that's just a, a move that's tough to get excited about. Like it's not, it's not as exciting as if they had just gone out and I don't know, signed like, well, if they signed like Manny Machado, you know, that would be like a thrilling deal. Like it's a top free agent. It's something that you can really put on a banner it's something, you know, you'll, you'll put them on the season ticket package and all that. It's, but, like, I think if you make enough good moves like Spangenberg, you can, you can push that to, to help your team contend. And I think, I think the 2018 Brewers proved that. So uh, it's, just, it's just a good depth move. And this is an organization where you should get excited about good depth. Would you put Bobby Wall in that same category? You know, I would. I was looking at his. I was looking at his Brooks baseball profile, and he's an interesting guy because everyone's fo- focusing on the fastball velocity, and that's fine. But to my understanding, he throws a slider and a curveball, and so that instantly jumps off uh, the page to me. Given um, given their new pitching coach, uh, the organizational uh, who follows the organizational philosophy on a lot of uh, the pitching analytics and the pitching strategies my guess is they have they have their eyes on one of those pitches and they're going to say 
this is this is the pitch we want to see. And so uh, I think of someone like Jordan Lyles last year. Jordan Lyles revolutionized this curveball with the Brewers. He just he totally reinvented himself and turned into a pretty effective pitcher just by changing his curveball. Uh, Jeremy Jeffers was another guy who focused on the curveball. And so it'll be I, I'll be really curious to see which of those breaking balls um, Wall goes with next year. And I think that, to my mind, that's probably something that the Brewers absolutely have on their mind. They were probably already talking about it with their coaching staff. They probably knew that's exactly why they traded for him. So I, I'm pretty pumped to see it. It might not turn into anything, but if you really get into this organization's philosophy of how they look for, they look for flawed players that they can, but that you can like kind of override those flaws by strategizing on on one specific strength. And I think that's. Wall is going to be a type of guy to try and do that with, I think, and I guess would be the curveball. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up, and let's let's finish off this conversation kind of with this. I I think Chris Hook is going to be a perfectly good pitching coach, and I, there's there's multiple different things that pitching coaches do. There's the actual you know art of like the the teaching aspect of it and making you better, but there's also the recognition of what can make you your best self for lack of a better term and I thought something that Derek Johnson did that was maybe his his best strength he was a very good pitching coach X's and O's all that stuff was fine and I think Chris Hook is going to be fine as well what I'm most intrigued about on this is Derek Johnson was incredible at looking at guys looking at what they could do and putting them on a path to be their best self and I'm curious if Chris Hook is going to be able to do that same thing. And I don't think that's part of the – where we talk about the organizational pitching philosophy. That, that's, it's, a, it's a good philosophy, clearly, and, there's, and Chris Hook's going to be perfectly fine with that. But sometimes not from a philosophical standpoint, but from just helping guys being their best, I thought Derek Johnson was good at that. So this is a really long-winded question to say, are you comfortable with Chris Hooks? And we don't know much about him yet as a major league pitching coach, but are you are you comfortable? Are you intrigued? Where are you at in terms of him being able to get his hands on guys and help them become uh, the best possible pitcher they can be? I'm. I would say I'm comfortable with Hook, and I'm intrigued. And I, I have two really, really specific reasons for that. I'm comfortable with Hook because he he essentially is getting promoted to the MLB in the same way that a lot of his minor league guys were. And it was kind of the same with Darnell Coles, as I understand it, that he was someone the system was familiar with. He was familiar with the system. I think he got a lot of bad bad press just because whenever the bats struggle you think it's the hitting coach and not the bats and I think Darnell Cole is really underrated as a hitting coach by Brewers fans just because they never I think they never tried to understand what he was doing right and I think Chris Hook is getting that same type of promotion and you gotta look you got to look at all these organizational depth arms that they've promoted like they turned Freddie Peralta into an MLB pitcher this is like Freddie Peralta is one of my favorite guys so I don't mean that it's a knock but you could write a book on his scouting flaws. You could you could look at his scouting profile and say, "There's no way this guy pitches in the major league." And and I again, I don't mean that as a knock. I because I I think I like Freddie Peralta's profile, and I think the fact is the Brewers found a way to turn him into like the best possible pitcher he could be with the without really changing his profile. They're just like maximizing it, and so you have to realize. Chris Hook was there for a lot of that. He like I don't know, 
I don't know to what extent that he worked with each of these guys along the way um, with certain minor league affiliates, but he's he's. If my understanding is that if you're part of the organization, you understand all of that that's going on. So uh, that's why I'm really excited about it and really intrigued because you get to see you get to see all these great minor league arms that they've developed now take their next step in the MLB with one of the coaches they probably had at some somewhere along the line in the minors. So it's I think if from a if you like thinking about how best to develop personnel in an organization. If you like thinking about workforce development questions, like how do you develop the best possible organization? How do you get your people in the best place? I think it's an incredibly intriguing story. So I, I like Chris Hook a lot from based on his minor league track record. I think it's like you can't really say much bad about the guy. And so I think it'll just be really cool to see all these guys kind of developing at the same level um, in 2019. So it's, it's super intriguing. Well, before we let you go, a lot of people familiar with uh, BP Milwaukee, but uh, there's been some changes with the baseball prospectus ownership management and the strategy in which uh, you're going forward. And there isn't really team-specific stuff anymore. Everybody has been funneled into uh, the larger baseball prospectus, so if people are looking for it on Twitter, uh, at Baseball Pro. Baseballprospectus.com is now the website to be able to go to. But, uh, Nick, you would obviously be able to talk on this a little bit more than uh, than I can. So for listeners, can you explain a little bit what's going on uh, with uh, just the, the current format of Baseball Prospectus? Yeah, absolutely. So um, if you check out Baseball Prospectus, they uh, they just had a new ownership group uh, purchase purchase the organization, and so it's a um, it's an internal it's an internal group. So it's a lot of Baseball Prospectus uh, personalities that you're familiar with if you're a regular BP reader. And so it's a pretty exciting time because they're they kind of decided to do a comprehensive overhaul of. Um, of the type of content that you see every day on baseball perspectives. And one of, one of the potential, the avenues, one of the potential areas was to incorporate writers and editors from the local sites into a new feature, uh, a new type of feature on the main site. So there's kind of, uh, where we're kind of working on the logistics of it right now, but it's really, really exciting. You're, we're hopefully going to be able to give you that, that, prototypical like baseball prospectus angle on on the game you know like really really solid analysis really specific stats maybe stats that are critical critical of the game in a certain way or kind of give you a different vantage point we're going to try and present that in shorter some new shorter pieces we're going to try and do some more team specific analysis but on the main site but so the difference is we're not you know these local writers aren't going to be siloed on a different place on the website. We're going to, it's going to kind of be a comprehensive, a comprehensive approach to uh, content at baseball perspective. So I'm 100% behind it. I'm, I've been thrilled that they asked us to come along. Um, a whole bunch of the uh, BP Milwaukee writers are interested in coming along. So it's, it's a really exciting thing that BP is really trying to um, reevaluate what what can make the site better and i think i think it's a great product already I, you know obviously I, i'm happy to be a part of it and 
So I, I'm pretty biased on that. But I think I think that we're working really hard to make things even better at the site. So I'm, I'm pretty pumped about it. Again, uh, at Baseball Pro on Twitter, BaseballProspectus.com. If you're not following them on Twitter and checking out their website on a uh, very normal basis, certainly something that you uh, need to be doing. Nick, it's always great to talk to you. Thank you, as always, for your insight, and we look forward to doing this again uh, real soon. Right on. Thanks a lot, Matt. It's always it's always a pleasure to talk to you. Nicholas Zettel joining us here on Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. Our appreciation to him and uh, really cool stuff they've got going on over at uh, Baseball Prospectus. And uh, look forward to uh, seeing what that's going to continue to look like as they kind of evolve under the new leadership. But that's uh, that's good stuff from them and uh, great to be able to talk a little bit to Nick. That's going to do it for this uh, week's edition. Thanks for being tuned in. Thanks for uh, dealing with our two-week hiatus. Uh, None of that anymore. We will be back next week with another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. Thanks for listening to Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Matt will be back next week with another episode. For all the latest Brewers news, keep listening to the home of the Brewers. News Radio 620 WTMJ.